Section 10 of Precepts in Practice, or Stories Illustrating the Proverbs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Precepts in Practice, or Stories Illustrating the Proverbs, by Charlotte Maria Tucker. Courage and Candor. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Proverbs 29.25 Jonas Coulter was as gallant an old seaman as ever sailed on salt water. He was kind and generous also, and would have shared his last shilling or his last crust with any poor creature who required it. Jonas loved his Bible and loved his church and might have been seen regularly every Sunday morning with his book under his arm, stumping along with his wooden leg on his way to the house of prayer. But Jonas had one sad failing. Rather, I should call it one great sin, for an angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. He had no sort of command over his temper, and that temper was an uncommonly bad one. There are many excuses to be made for him, his sister, Mrs. Morris, would often say. Just think of what a rough life he has led, and how much he has had to suffer. If his temper rises sometimes like a gale of wind, like a gale of wind it is soon over. But like a gale of wind it leaves its effects behind it, observed a neighbor, when this remark was repeated to him. I shan't care to call often at Mrs. Morris's house while her bear of a brother makes it his den. There were perhaps none on earth whom Jonas loved better than Johnny and Allie, the children of his sister, and yet none suffered more from his fierce and ungoverned temper. They feared him more than they loved him, and notwithstanding the many little presents which he made them, and the many little kindnesses which he showed them. His absence, when he left home, was always felt as a relief. It is impossible to regard with the greatest affection one who puts you in perpetual fear, or to feel quite happy with a companion whose smile may in a moment be changed to a frown, whose pleasant talk to a passionate burst. Johnny, though considered a courageous boy, was afraid of rousing his uncle. And if to him Jonas was an object of fear, to Allie he was an object of terror. Allie was one of the most timid little creatures in the village. She would go a long way round to avoid passing a large dog, was uneasy at the sight of a turkey cock, and never dared so much as raise her eyes if a stranger happened to address her. It was not only from the temper of her uncle that poor little Allie now suffered. Johnny, while himself annoyed at the roughness of Jonas, with the imitative disposition of youth, began in a certain degree to copy it. He knew that the old sailor was thought generous and brave, and therefore wished to be like him, but made the very common mistake of imitators, followed him rather in his defects, than in those things which were worthy of admiration. 
Perhaps Johnny also tried to hide from himself and others how much he was cowed by his uncle, by assuming a blustering manner himself. This is so often unconsciously done that whenever I see a bully I am inclined to suspect that I am looking at a coward. Allie was fond of listening to her uncle's sea stories, long yarns as he called them, but only if she could listen unobserved. Her favorite place was the window seat, where she could draw the curtain before her to screen her from observation. To be suddenly addressed by her uncle was enough to make the timid child start. Jonas had many curiosities from foreign parts, which it amused the children to see. Dried seaweed, reptiles in bottles, odd specimens of work done in straw by savages in some distant islands with unpronounceable names. These treasures were never kept under lock and key. It was quite enough that they belonged to the terrible Jonas. No one was likely to meddle much with his goods, lest he should give him a bit of his mind. Allie, cried Johnny one morning, when the children happened to be alone in their uncle's little room, where on earth have you put my Robinson Crusoe? I, said the little girl, looking up innocently from her work, I have not so much as seen it. Look for it, then, cried the boy, in the loud, coarse tone which he had too faithfully copied from his uncle. Little Allie was plying her needle diligently, and her brother had nothing to do, but she was much too timid to remonstrate. She sat down her work and moved quietly about the room, glancing behind this thing and under that, while Johnny, stretched at full length on the floor, amused himself with chucking up marbles. "'There it is!' cried Allie at last, glancing upwards at a high shelf, on which were ranged diverse of Jonah's bottles. "'Get it down!' said the boy, who, to judge by his tone, thought himself equal to an admiral at the least. "'I don't think I can,' replied Allie. I can't reach the shelf, and there's another book and a heavy bottle, too, on top of Robinson Crusoe. Goose, can't you get a chair? was the only reply vouchsafed. Allie slowly dragged a heavy chair to the spot, while Johnny commenced singing, Britons never, never shall be slaves. Considering, of course, as exceptions to the rule, all gentle, helpless little British girls who happened to have strong, tyrannical brothers. "'There, mind, take care what you're about,' he cried, as he watched Allie's efforts to accomplish the task for which she had hardly sufficient strength or height. Scarcely were the words uttered when down with a crash came the bottle and the books, almost upsetting poor Allie herself. Johnny jumped up from the ground in an instant. "'What is to be done?' he exclaimed looking with dismay at the broken bottle, whose green contents, escaping in all directions, was staining the floor and also the book, which was one of Jonas's greatest treasures. "'Oh, what is to be done?' repeated poor Allie in real distress. Johnny felt so angry with himself that he was much inclined, after his usual fashion, to vent his anger upon his sister, saying, however, that they were both in the same trouble, and that it had been occasioned by his laziness 
and making the little girl do what he ought to have done himself, he repressed his indignation, and turned his mind to the means of remedying the evil. "'My uncle will be in a downright tempest!' he exclaimed. "'What say you do a good long walk right off to the farm and get out of the way of his fury?' "'It would be just as bad when we came back,' Alice said dolefully, stooping to pick up the injured book. "'Don't touch it!' cried Johnny authoritatively. "'Don't get the stain on your dress as well as on everything else. I have to get on a famous plan.' We'll shut up the cat in the room, then go on our walk, and no one on earth will guess that she did not do the mischief. Oh, but Johnny, would that be right? Right? Fiddlestick, cried the boy. Put on your bonnet and be quick, while I look for Tabby in the kitchen. Allie had great doubts whether she ought to obey, but she was frightened and confused, and accustomed to submit to the orders of her brother. And after all, her uncle was so fond of the cat that it was likely to suffer much less from his anger than any other creature would have done. Tabby was soon caught and placed on the floor near the broken bottle. Johnny dipped one of her paws in the fluid to serve as further evidence against her, and then came out of the little room. "'I must get out my work. I left it there,' said Allie. "'Go in quickly and get it, then,' replied Johnny." Allie went in and returned with the work, but stood hesitatingly before she quitted the room, looking back with her hand on the lock. "'Oh, Johnny, Tabity is licking it up.' "'So much the better,' cried he. "'Her whiskers will tell tales of her then.' "'But, Johnny, come quickly. I can't stand waiting for you all the day,' exclaimed the boy. "'Uncle may be back before we get off.' These words quickened the movements of Allie. She closed the door with a sigh. Very grave and silent was the child during the whole of that long walk. Very grave and silent during her visit to the farm. Johnny first laughed at her nonsense, as he called it, and then grew irritable and rude after the example of his uncle. The walk home was a very unpleasant one for Allie. But more unpleasant with the arrival at home. The first sight which met the children's eyes on their return was poor Tabby stretched out lifeless on the floor of the kitchen, and their uncle bending over her with a flushed face and knitted brow, while their mother, who stood beside him, was vainly endeavoring to calm him. Accidents will occur, dear brother. There has been gross carelessness somewhere, growled the sailor and turning suddenly round toward the children, whom he now first perceived, he thundered out to Johnny, "'Was it you, sir, who shut the cat in my room?' "'No,' answered Johnny very promptly. Then he added, "'Allie and I have been out a long time. We have been all the way to the farm.' "'I may have shut the door myself,' said the mother, "'without knowing of the cat being in the place.' And to turn the sailor's mind from his loss, she continued, I'm going up to the village, Jonas, and I've a very large basket to carry. Johnny's just come off a long walk, or... I'm your man, cried the sailor. I'll help you with your load. Just wait a few minutes till I've buried this poor thing in the garden. I shouldn't like the dogs to get at her, though she's past feeling now, poor Tabby. And as the stern, rough man stooped, raised his dead favorite and carried it away. Allie thought 
that she saw something like moisture trembling in his eye. Allie, said her mother, go into the room and carefully collect the broken pieces of the bottle which poor Tappy managed to knock off the shelf, and wash that part of the floor which is stained by the liquid. Be attentive not to leave a drop of it anywhere, for the contents of the bottle was deadly poison, and I cannot be too thankful that the cat was the only sufferer. Allie obeyed with a very heavy heart. She was grieved at the death of Tabby, grieved at the vexation of her uncle, most grieved of all at the thought that she had not acted openly and conscientiously herself. When she returned to the kitchen, she found Johnny, its only occupant, her mother and uncle having set off for the village. "'I say, Allie,' cried Johnny, "'wasn't it lucky that Uncle asked me instead of you about shutting the cat in? "'Twas you that closed the door, you know.' "'Oh, Johnny,' said his sister, "'I feel so unhappy about it. "'I wish that I had told Mother everything. "'I don't think I could have spoken to Uncle.' It seems as if I were deceiving them both. Nonsense, cried Johnny in a very loud tone. You ought to be too happy that the storm is blown over. But the conscience of Valley would make itself heard, notwithstanding her brother's voice of scorn. She had been accustomed from the time when she could first talk to speak the simple truth, and the whole truth. She knew that there may be falsehood even in silence, when that silence tends to deceive. She felt that she had wronged her uncle by destroying his property, and, however unintentionally, causing the death of his pet. And instead of frankly confessing the wrong and asking pardon, she was concealing the matter. Allie went slowly up to her own little room, took down from its shelf her well-used Bible, that would be a safer counselor than her brother. She opened it, and the first verse upon which her eyes rested was this. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Allie closed her book, and resting her head upon her hand, sat and thought. Mother has often told me that the language of heaven is truth, and whosoever loveth or maketh a lie shall never be admitted to that happy place. But why should my mind be so troubled? I have not said a single word that is not true. But I have concealed the truth. And why? Because of the fear of man, which the Bible tells me bringeth a snare. What then would be my straight course of duty? To confess that I threw down the poison? Would not that bring my brother into trouble? No, for it was I who climbed on the chair, I who knocked over the bottle, I who last shut the door. All the mischief was done by me, though it was not done for my own pleasure. I know what will be my best plan, said Allie, with a sigh of relief at coming to anything like a decision. I'll confess all to Mother when she comes back from the village, and she will choose a good time when my uncle is in a pleasant temper, and I am out of the way, and tell him that I killed poor Tabby, but am exceedingly sorry that I did it. So Allie returned to the kitchen, and put on the water to boil for tea, and sat down to her unfinished work, awaiting her mother's return. Her heart beat faster than usual when she heard the clump-clump of her uncle's wooden leg, 
but still more when he entered the house alone. "'Where's mother?' said Johnny. "'She's gone to the vicarage,' replied Jonas. "'She met a messenger to tell her that the lady there was taken very ill "'and wants someone to nurse her. "'So she sheared off straight for Brampton "'and desired me to come back and tell you.' "'When shall she return?' asked Allie with anxiety. "'That's when the lady gets better, I suppose. "'I suspect she's cast anchor for a good while from what I hear,' replied the sailor. "'But look up, good heart, little lass, "'and don't look as though it are about to set the waterworks going. "'I've brought you something to cheer you up a bit.' "'And slowly unfolding his red pocket handkerchief, "'Jonas displayed a large cake of gingerbread. "'Here's for you,' he said, holding it out to his niece. "'Oh, uncle!' cried Allie, without attempting to touch it. "'Take it, will you?' he said sharply. "'What are you hanging back for?' Allie took the cake and thanked her uncle in a faltering voice. Jonas stooped down, lighted his pipe, and as he glanced at the warm corner, which used to be his favorite's chosen place, and Mr. Will known purr, the old sailor gave an unconscious sigh, and poor tabby escaped from his lips the sound of the sigh and the words gave pain to the heart of little allie here i am receiving kindness from my uncle thought she and knowing how little i deserve it and yet i have not courage to confess the truth i am sure that fear is a snare to me oh that i had a braver heart so that I should dread nothing but doing wrong. Johnny is bold as a lion, and yet I am sure that even he would be afraid to tell the truth to my uncle. "'What's the matter with the lass?' cried Jonas with blunt kindness, taking the pipe from his lips and looking steadily at the child. "'You're vexed at your mother biting away?' "'It's not that,' replied Allie very softly. "'You're fretting about the cat?' "'Partly.' murmured the child. "'Kind little soul!' exclaimed the sailor heartily. "'I'll get a white kitten or a tortoise shell for ye, if one's to be had for love or money. But maybe you're like the jack tar, and don't think new friends like the old.' And the rough, hard hand of the seaman was laid caressingly on the little girl's shoulder. "'Uncle, you quite mistake me. You, you, you would not be so kind if you knew all.' said Allie rapidly. The first difficult skip was taken. But poor Allie's cheek was crimson, and she would have felt it at that moment impossible to have raised her eyes from the floor. "'What's all this?' exclaimed Jonas roughly, while Johnny, afraid that the whole truth was coming out, made a hasty retreat from the kitchen. "'What's all this?' repeated the bluff sailor. Allie had now gone so far that she had not power to retreat. Her little hands pressed tightly together, her voice tremulous and indistinct with fear. She stammered forth, It was I who knocked down the bottle, and, and shut poor Tabby in your room, and... Shut her in on purpose, thundered Jonas, starting up from his seat. Allie bent her head as her only reply. Shut in the cat that the blame might be laid upon her, took a long walk that the mean trick might be successful, and each sentence 
His voice rose louder and louder, so that Johnny could hear it on the other side of the road, while poor Allie bent like a reed beneath the storm. "'And was your brother with you, girl?' continued the angry sailor, after a short but terrible pause. Poor Allie was dreadfully perplexed. She squeezed her hands together tighter than ever. She could not speak, but her silence spoke enough. "'Mean coward!' exclaimed Jonas, striking the table with his clenched fist till it rang again. "'And he has set all sail, and made off and left this little penance to brave the storm alone.' Allie burst into tears, and whether it was the sight of these tears or whether his own words reminded the sailor that Allie, at least, had now acted an honest, straightforward part, his anger towards her was gone in a moment, and he drew her kindly to his knee. "'Dry these eyes, and think no more about it,' said he. "'You never guessed that the liquid was poison, and accidents, as they say, will happen even in the best-regulated families. But why did not you and your sneak of a brother tell me honestly about breaking the bottle, instead of playing such a cowardly trick as that of shutting up the poor cat in the room?' "'Oh, uncle,' murmured Allie, at length finding her voice, "'we knew that you would be so dreadfully angry.' "'Rumph!' said the sailor thoughtfully. "'So the fear of me was a snare to you. "'Well, you may go after your brother, "'if he's not run away so far that you cannot find him, "'and tell him that he may sneak back "'as soon as he can muster enough courage.' for not a word, good or bad, shall he hear from me about the bottle or the cat. And mind you, my honest little lass, continued Jonas, I'll not forget the white kitten for you, for though you've not a stout heart, you've a brave conscience, and dare speak the truth even to a crabbed old sailor who you knew would be so dreadfully angry. Allie flew off like a bird, her heart lightened of its load, and rejoiced in the consciousness that a painful duty had been performed. And whenever in future life she felt tempted to take a crooked course from the dread of some peril in the straight one, the timid girl found courage in remembering the verse which had struck her so much on that day. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of God most high, it is a holy fear. It makes us pass through life as those who know their judge is near. The fear of sinful man, tis a debasing fear. Shame will be theirs who dare not brave a censure or a sneer. It was the fear of God through which the Hebrews three undaunted met the tyrant's frown, unmoved the flames could see. It was the fear of man, weak pilot's breast within, that stained his hands with guiltless blood, his soul with blackest sin. No courage is like that which steadfast faith bestows. With God our friend, we would be safe were all the world our foes. Faith but the duty sees, where doubt would danger scan. Tis through the fear of God alone we crush the fear of man. 
End of section 10.